Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 260, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible by... The Real Herb Market. Do you make herbal products for sale? At The Real Herb Market, we connect herbal makers like you with people who appreciate the power of natural herbal care. Become a seller at The Real Herb Market today. Visit them at therealherbmarket.com. The Practical Herbalist. For practical info on plants you love, visit The Practical Herbalist at thepracticalherbalist.com. Ritual is a powerful tool in the Herbalist Toolbox. With the support of the plants, we can move through transition, change, and even trauma empowered and healed. Today we're talking with Leslie Korn, Doctor of Integrated Medicine for Mental Health, Herbalist, and author of Natural Woman Herbalist Remedies for Radiant Health at Every Age and Stage of Life about using ritual powerfully. Now here are your hosts... I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And welcome, welcome to, to Real, Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. <laughs> welcome back, Leslie. I am so, so glad you are here with us today. I am delighted to be with you. I have been playing with Natural Woman through the last few months, and I, I'm loving you're writing the what you wrote in there, the chapter you wrote on ritual and just how how to create ritual for yourself, the small ones, the large ones. What is your favorite ritual? Oh, wow. It, I think it would be hard to define just one ritual because for me, a ritual really is the way I structure my connection to the rhythms of nature. It allows me to tune in to my own inner rhythms and connect them to the cosmic rhythms. And plants are the conduit for that. Herbs help me get there. And so I think I would say, what's my favorite ritual for what month or what, <laughs> what season? Because there's such a difference between the ritual that we're doing in winter, then let's say what happens as we're preparing for spring. In some ways, those are bookended rituals of as we're preparing to hibernate and then as we're preparing to emerge like the dandelion. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, the, the feeling, the year feels, even if you're not, if you can get away from whatever the current Cell, human celebrations are, you know, just step into nature, get yourself, you know, just clear and get really present. Just the feeling of the air is different in winter as opposed to summer in, in spring, you know, you, yes. can, you can feel it. Yes. And you, you make a really good point, Candace, that all of the celebrations that we think of that are institutionalized and, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the celebrations of the fall and the winter, let's say, or the spring that often are kind of devoid of true ritual, but they really began with true ritual. The celebration of Christmas, let's say, really was a celebration of preparation for hibernation or the celebration of the, uh, harvest of the fall really was a celebration that was rooted in our worship of nature and different cultures worship nature in so many different ways. And yet 
often have the similar kinds of rituals that are driven by the time of year and the environment and what herbs and flowers and foods present themselves. Yeah. You know, it was last year in the spring when my, I have a duck flock of ducks and my, my ducks and I have some chickens too, but when my ducks started laying, um, normally they're very good about laying in the nest and I, I don't do lights or anything like that. They just flow with the rhythms of the seasons and that's absolutely beautiful in my opinion. Um, but in the spring they decided that they would find a few special nests, not, not where I expected them to be. And so they hid <laughs> eggs about, and as I was walking around looking for the eggs, I, it was just, re- it really hit me how much that's what the Easter egg hunt really is. It's just because they decided to lay elsewhere. (laughs) Absolutely. And there's no more perfect food than an egg. Right. And and eggs are such a great host as we prepare them for herbs and spices. (laughs) Yes, they are. They are. We ended up um, deciding... Well, before all the COVID and all of that happened, my husband and I decided to do a vegan diet and we did it. And then at one point, so we have all these extra eggs, right? So we gave some eggs to our neighbors and our neighbors gave back, um, like I remember it was like four or five of them done as hard as uh, deviled eggs. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that because we weren't eating eggs very much. And when we did, we put a lot of, good warming spices in them. You know, when I'm making deviled eggs, I have lots of ginger and cinnamon and mustard. Mm. Mustard. Yeah. Right. And they didn't use nearly as many. Nope. <laughs> that didn't go as well. <laughs> no, my, my system was not happy. Yeah. Um, but a week later I did egg salad with what I normally do and not a problem. Yeah. The plants make such a huge difference. Eggs are such a perfect food. And when you think about combining different herbs and spices, for example, eggs, I, I, I work with a lot of children and adults with uh, attention challenges. Mm-hmm. I don't use the word ADHD because I'm not a huge believer in that. But I, I do understand that in today's modern society, people have challenges focusing Mm-hmm. And eggs are so rich in choline, which really helps the brain focus. And then on top of that, you add salt, uh, sea salt, so important for yeah. adrenal function and energy. And I think we get a, we get a lot of media that says that salt's bad for you. And I do agree table salt is not the best resource but when you get a real natural salt the the combination of the egg and the salt so simple but so yes. important for helping people focus um then you add you know the bitter greens think about your parsley or the bit like you mentioned mustard and you add those bitters and then you start to stimulate the liver and you asked about one of my favorite rituals i think Anything that is a ritual that helps us cleanse our liver mm-hmm. and prepare ourselves uh, for the next stage in our life, I think, is is really beneficial emotionally and physically, even spiritually. I think. Yeah, you know, I've I've oftentimes found myself making tea in more of a 
I want to say a ritualistic way. And when I'm saying tea, I'm actually making herbal infusions where I'll, I'll do them in the crock pot. So I'm using a lot of roots and I use a lot of, you know, dandelion and burdock and, you know, nutritive, but bitter, a lot of bitter ones. And mm. then when I, when I drink the tea, cause I'll, you know, do a crock, a small crock pot full, and then I'll put it in the refrigerator and, and, you know, pull out some each day. And as I drink it, I really take the time to heat it up naturally, like heat it up with adding some more warm water or put it in a pot on the stove, whatever. And then think about how that flavor tastes to me. How is it feeling? How does it make my body feel? Mm-hmm. That's it's such a direct route to the brain and to mood. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking you were sharing with me that you're in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah. when you think about the traditional foods of that region and the wisdom of nature, the traditional diet in that region is a pretty high fat diet. If you look at native diets, very high fat, moderate protein, very low carb. And what's interesting is nature has given us a lot of the bitter herbs because the bitter herbs, you know, we think about Oregon grapefruit, we think about bitter group on the eastern yeah. side of the mountains, think about the lush dandelions, which actually were brought over. Um, but nonetheless, so many of the bitter herbs are paired with a high fat diet to mobilize the liver and the gallbladder. And I think we don't always think about what are the foods and plants that emerged in that area or perhaps uh, were shared through contact or colonization uh, and how we pair them and how we, we put them together for our health. I think nature shows us the way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I love that you said that because I just, for the first time, made a connection that I had been, I've been noticing that for me, the vegan diet, the challenging part of it has been that I'm also aim for grain-free or mostly grain-free because I have allergies and the grain always causes too much mucus and causes inflammation and swelling. It's, I'm much more likely to have allergy issues um, and the allergies are like hay fever, you know, seasonal allergy issues. Um, right. If I'm using the grains and I, so I, you know, I eliminated that and I, I had, you know, a very robust vegetable diet. And because I wasn't having dairy, when I, when I added that piece in, my fat intake went down and I started craving fat big time. Oh, sure. And one of the things when I moved out here, I grew up in Minnesota. So it was a very different place, a different diet, all of that. When I moved out here, one of my goals was to become as harmonized with the land and with the, the the environment, with the land where I live, so that it could own me because that's what I want. I wanted to be of this place, and so I've been, you know, spent a decade working on trying to get as attuned as I can. And I live in the city, so it's not, you know, it's not always very easy. But you're saying, you know describing the Pacific Northwest traditional diet. And that is exactly the right diet for me, mm -hmm. which to me is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just think about if you go back to your people in Europe, um, mm -hmm. what were the kinds of foods that they ate? What were the plants that they ate? You know, all those wonderful root vegetables yes. that our ancestors ate because they were out plowing fields for yeah. 10 hours a day. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> yeah. 
yes, and the, such a good natural source of um, kind of natural sweetness. Yeah. But you're right. I think that what you've identified is that as we experiment with different diets, different ways of eating, even different herbs, some of them are going to agree with us. Some of us really make us feel wonderful, energized. Some of us really bring us down. And you, and I think that's the first place I start with my patients is we can do a lot of testing. We can test you for allergies. We can test your response to this. We can test your genetics. But really, I think it's so essential to begin with one's own experience because there's so much in our modern world that goes against our own knowledge. We're bombarded with ask your doctor for this medication or um, it doesn't matter what you're eating. Take this uh, anti-inflammatory or take, mm -hmm. you have indigestion. Well, suppress it with this. And I think people have often lost the wherewithal to really look inside and say, what makes me feel energized? Yeah. What lifts my mood? And what just brings me down? And I think that is the first step in our health. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when, when I think about ritual, I think about ritual being a way to frame the story, you know, to, to tell a story. And that's what mm -hmm. we've been doing with our health. And all these pieces telling us to look outside of ourselves are, I don't know, steering us in the wrong direction. They're like the red herrings in a mystery story. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're not, they're not showing us. They're taking, we're giving away our power or we're forgetting that we actually own the power to make our own health. Yes. The thing that I love also about ritual, if you think about what ritual is supposed to be, it, it harmonizes us with others. Yes. yes, we can do a ritual alone, but normally rituals are done with others to yeah. harmonize the subtle energies that we exchange with each other to help us regulate each other in, in families, in small communities, in friendships, in larger gatherings, and then harmonize with the with the rhythms of the cosmos of the earth and the sun and the stars. And I think with few exceptions, rituals are often in modern life. So empty. Yeah. It's like we have the shell of them. People get together for a funeral, but is it a meaningful ritual or people right. come together for a wedding? I know I often, unless I, I really know the people well, who are putting a beautiful wedding or gathering together, I dread these um, mm. kind of meaningless, <laughs> empty right. rituals unless they're really infused with the capacity to come together. Yeah. Yeah, that that shared experience is, it, it's so important when it's got that fullness to it. And mm -hmm. when it doesn't, it just, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't give good energy. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. One of the rituals I, I developed for a friend of mine uh, who's 
a daughter was coming of age and that I wrote about in the book was this ritual of bringing together wise women elders mm. to share about their experiences and their wisdom that they wanted to pass on to this 13 year old. And then for the, uh, the, the young woman to give a gift to yes. the elders in exchange to have that bi-directional exchange of recognition of I have something to receive, but I also have something to give. And in this case, it's choosing some favorite herbs or flowers that mean something to each wise elder woman. Yes, that one actually made me cry a little bit. Not a little bit, a lot. That made me cry. That was a beautiful ritual. And it made me joyful because it's there and those rituals and those pieces are coming alive and I am seeing them happen with the young women, the women and young and their daughters in my life. I don't have a daughter myself, but you know, the, the women and the daughters that are doing are beginning to do things like that. And it made me ache because it was something that was lost in my family or at least in my branch of my family. It mm-hmm. didn't, those rituals didn't happen for me and I ached for them, but I didn't know what I was aching for then. So I didn't know what to ask for. And now it's this bittersweet, I guess you could say, experience of seeing, seeing it happening, reading the one that you wrote about and how beautiful that is. And, you know, I have a son and, and we've done rituals for him and they're different. They're for, mm-hmm. you know, for him. But it's, I, I was so thankful, so happy to read what you wrote and to know that there are women out there who are going to get inspired by that, that are going to do that for their daughters. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right to identify it. It is a loss. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a grief. Um, and I think that's the wisdom we learn from other cultures that are still carrying out meaningful rituals. Um, and, and I think what I've tried to do in the book is link cultural practices that we can learn from with different kinds of foods and spices yes. that we may not be familiar with. And the combination of those, I think, expands our, our vision and, and our horizon and really, um, really sets the stage for the young people coming up for what's a possible way of functioning in this world and giving it so much more meaning than sometimes those empty rituals that we've all experienced. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you're an herbalist who wants to build a business working with plants, you'd not want to miss the third annual Herbal Entrepreneur Conference. This year, the five-day virtual event held from March 22nd to 26th, and will be the event of the year for herbal business owners. The host, Yolanda Joy, has pulled together an incredible lineup of speakers, including Rosemary Gladstar, Margie Flint, Nancy Phillips, Lucy Jones, Talil Al-Ahmad, and many more. These successful herbal business owners will share their best tips, strategies, and ideas to help you on your journey to grow your own herbal business. Believe it or not, right now you can get a ticket to the Herbal Entrepreneur Conference for free. Just head over to herbalentrepreneur.com to register and you'll get all the details you need to attend sent to you via email. I've already grabbed my ticket. Get yours now. 
Can you clearly define what ritual means? Ritual for me is really the engagement of the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual self. I think it begins with our really being embodied and understanding that we are human animals. <laughs> Yes. Uh, that we walk the earth, that we've learned often from our four-footed animal friends mm-hmm. about their rituals and their herbs and how they have altered their consciousness. For me, a ritual is a, a way that we come together to alter our consciousness, to set our intention and to celebrate not only who we are with our feet on the ground, but who we are when our hair is standing up towards the sky. <laughs> and um, to really find deep meaning in our lives. And rituals then can be oriented towards our health, towards celebration, towards loss. I even have a ritual of welcoming uh, a new animal companion into the family. I think we can ritualize any activity that we imbue with deep, profound meaning and connection to ourselves, others, and the cosmos. That is, yes, that is a beautiful definition. And I love that you bring up the ritual of welcoming a new animal companion into the family. Our family has had a ritual of that. Um, anytime, for instance, it began, there was my, our first dog and he lived with us and his name was Saxon Brew. And at one point it was time for a second dog to come. And he wanted, he was, we called him the little father. He loved puppies. So he wanted a puppy and we were, we were okay with that. And my husband went and drove a couple of hours actually through a snowstorm to get this puppy. Okay. Four hours. He just let me know. It's four hours. (laughs) He sacrificed. Not as long as the mole, but still four hours. Exactly. Right. (laughs) And when we brought her home before she entered the house, we did what we call the presenting of the new one. And Mm. we presented her to him and he had the opportunity to say no. We all knew he wasn't going to, and he fell in love with her immediately. But, <laughs> and we did the same thing. We presented our son when he, we brought him home. I, I had a cesarean unplanned, but it was a hospital thing. So we brought our, our son home and we presented him to the dogs in the driveway <laughs> so that they could say no. <laughs> and of course they did not, but. You know. And so as each animal has joined us, because when animals come to our home, they come to stay. So they stay, you know, for the rest of their lives. But there's mm-hmm. always the presenting. And so, you know, mm-hmm. at this point we have a flock of geese, of uh, a goose, a flock of ducks. Everybody gets, there's every, there's a lot of potential no's. Nobody ever says mm-hmm. no, but mm-hmm. there's the presenting. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> well, it gives a lot of rich meaning and connection. And I think that whatever animal it is, whatever being, I think there are very deep, deep waves of connection that go far beyond 
uh, verbal communication. And I think that's another element of ritual. And I think that's what you're identifying that we're, we're engaging in deep currents of communication that are not, it's not always a verbal language, nor can it be or should it be, but, but ritual helps concentrate that level of communication that's often ineffable, but that's deeply connected and spiritual. Yes, I think that is very astute. Um, yeah. And, and I, like in our case, you know, some of the beings that have come to stay have come through trauma. They've come through multiple, like our, our parrot, we were the third home and she did not believe, she didn't understand the concept of come to stay. She mm. assumed it was a short to So it took her quite a while, but the presenting was part of you're here to stay. This isn't a, this isn't a temporary. So you've got trauma to heal through and taking that action, I think gave her a different experience than she had had in the past homes that she had been through. Yes. And that is that unspoken deeper current that, that moves beyond the words is really important when you've been through tough times. Right. Right. I'm sure your deep relaxation was transmitted to your parrot mm-hmm. um, so that she could feel safe. And I think that's, that's so much the nature of our connection or should be with our animal friends is really a bi-directional connection, calming, healing, yeah. uh, Humans, as you point out, are not the only animals who are traumatized, and yet we see the same types of symptoms uh, as a result. Yeah, and I think ritual is a really powerful tool for use with us humans, too. I mean, anytime Mm -hmm. we go through a change, whatever that change is, it it can be traumatic. I mean, for some women, menopause is traumatic. For others, it's, you know, a release from what has been traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, every stage of life for all of us, there's, it's traumatic because you're always, when you go through a change, you're, there's grief. You're giving up what was, even if what was isn't great and you're better off. Now, you're still letting go of what it used to be and there's, it's traumatic going through it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the little traumas. There are some people that have to go through much bigger traumas. Um, and I think ritual is an, a powerful tool for helping us create a story that empowers us as we move through that, that gives us mm-hmm. our power to move forward well. Yeah, so you, you mentioned menopause, and mm-hmm. I think so much of the stress around menopause is our social concept and construction of menopause in, of, uh, you know, women, let alone andropause in men (laughs) that constructs women's values in a society that wants youth, for example, but you compare menopause and the process in other traditional societies it is not a uh, stressor because the context of it is one of honoring and valuing uh, the aging woman 
I'm not uh, denigrating. And so I think we deal with this overlay. It's one of the reasons I, I wanted to create this uh, Damiana ritual, not just to support women's hormones right. uh, during menopause, also imbued in a little bit of liqueur mm-hmm. uh, to help one uh, transit through any moment of stress but also to bring women together to celebrate and share, um, as you say, the, the experiences of their lives that they have really transmuted and transformed and to really celebrate that. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It was a really, the idea of it that I haven't yet done it myself (laughs) but the idea of it is very powerful and it's like i want that that's what i want to arrive at do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean yes well you're going to have the opportunity to gather your your girlfriends around you then yeah you know i grew up in a strange space where i didn't end up building girlfriend friendships as well i was one of the early girl geeks at a time when it was not cool to be a girl geek. <laughs> so that's why I, I got with her. Yeah. <laughs> I attracted my man because he liked comic books and, you know, these sorts of things. <laughs> well, you're ready for, for creating your own girl geek ritual then. Yes, I am. I want to hear about that. <laughs> and I am thinking that Damiana is going to have a good place in that because I, I, that's one of the plant medicines I've particularly liked. Even as I'm passing through, I'm, I'm not quite 50, but I'm, you know, passing through my 40s and Damiana has been a really good friend. <laughs> Oh, good, good. Well, there's one of your girl geek friends right there. We didn't say that she had to walk on two feet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I can tell you, our household, our, our dog, my, my beloved dog. I mean, he's my, he's my heart and he knows it. He came and he came to stay. And the first thing he did after he snuggled onto the couch and realized, let me know he was home was apologized to me for the fact that he's a he and he intended to be a she, but it didn't work out. And I was like, okay, hon, that's good. You could be anything you want to be. I'm happy. And our parrot also introduced herself as a she, even though she is probably not a she. There's never been an egg, and she's definitely well into the age where there should have been. But I don't care. She she prefers she, and she responds. She lets you know when you use the wrong pronoun. She's quite clear about that. <laughs> We're like, okay, it's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've got my two she's, my two honorary she's around me all the time. <laughs> well, Damiana is is a, a gift to travel with through any stressful mm-hmm. moment. So I'm yes. glad she's by your side. Yes. And she is good for both men and women. Definitely. Yes. Yes, I think uh, we often forget that um, men also go through changes. And I think that's yeah. that's another element um, that gets lost in our society is recognizing the importance of changes that men go through hormonally and biologically. And because it happens generally at a different stage than women's lives, there's often a disconnect. But yeah. I think... I think it also aligns with the challenge that 
just as men are often denied the the fullness and richness of emotional expression uh, by many elements in our society, I think that also is reflected in just the lack of recognition of the need for ritual that men have too, to recognize and honor their various passages. Yeah. And I think that that's something that was probably much more alive, at least within European cultures, you know, 500 years ago or, or more. And it's something that Mm -hmm. we have lost. Um, certainly we've lost it, you know, throughout my generation and I expect we're not, mine's not the first. And it's something that I have seen with, you know, with my son and with many of the other, you know, families with sons that I've known as, you know, he's been growing up. We've worked at trying to figure out how to create rituals for him at the points that seem appropriate. Yes. Um, but it is a little bit like, you know, stabbing in the dark, you know, reaching through the dark, trying to figure out what we're doing and feeling unguided. And uh, with women, at least, there's specific times in our lives. You know, your first period starts, it's pretty clear. Your body's in your face about the fact that change has happened, you know. Right. With men, it's not always as clear. How old is your son? He is uh, 17, almost 18. Mm-hmm. And he was yeah. one of the COVID seniors. So our we ended up doing a small graduation ceremony in which he... Don't tell anyone, smoked a pipe on our back patio as we built a fire. And it was just the three of us because it was all shelter at home at that time. And, yeah. You know, beautiful. It was actually, and it was much more suited to his personality and what was really right for him that Mm -hmm. in, in a, in a, in a way that I, I probably shouldn't express as really positive, but honestly, it really was positive aspect of what COVID gave to our family as a gift was the opportunity to celebrate his passing into a new era of his life in a way that was perfectly suited for him. Yes, that that is so the essence of ritual, ritual that is meaning making, that you three together made that meaning for each other in a way, as you say, that might not have happened if the trauma of COVID hadn't forced you into it. And I do think that ritual often evolves as a way to navigate trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it gives us a, a way to put our feet on the ground and create a story to get mm-hmm. through the trauma. Yeah. And to turn it into something more positive. I mean, Yeah, I think he'll um he'll remember that. That was a that was a really nice night. Yeah. Mhm. Well, thank you and so much. And I bet much. in Oh, I, I was just going to yeah. say I I bet it'll be even more memorable than high school graduation. Oh yeah. would have been. Yeah. I think it'll be one of those nodal po- uh, points that he will always remember in a way that, I mean, who remembers your high school graduation? It's like, eh. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I remember there was a throwing of a cap and that's about it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, it's a geek girl, I bet, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so very much um, for being with us today. 
thank you for writing Natural Woman. I have been loving that. I've, I've gone back to it several times now, and it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me to spend this time with you. And I, I love when someone enjoys the book uh, because that's, I, I wrote it for you. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that it's speaking to you. Yes. And how can people get a hold of you? You can reach me via my website, Dr. Leslie Korn, K-O-R-N. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-K-O-R-N dot com. And on the website, you can see all kinds of uh, resources. You can send me a contact via email or um, see my blog writings on herbs or look at some of the um sections I'm providing you from the book so you get a feel for it. Uh, look at some recipes. Uh, or if you want to reach out um, for a consultation or if you're a professional and you want to do some training, there's lots of resources. So that's a perfect way to reach me. Lovely. And we will make sure that we include the link to your book through your website, which goes to your publisher, correct? Yes, thank you. Yeah. So, as always, put an herb on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.